I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Each October, we recognize National Disability Employment Awareness Month in Canada. We know that one in five Canadians lives with a disability, and we also know that unemployment and underemployment continues to be a reality for many people with disabilities. According to St Statistics Canada, in 2022, the employment rate for adults aged 16 to 64 with disabilities was 65.1%. This still lags behind the employment rate for the general population, which is 80.4%. We've talked about needing to make attitudinal changes, and no one denies that changing attitudes is the key to ensuring greater workplace participation. But I feel it's time to dig deeper and encourage employers to examine their structures, practices, policies, and processes, and root out ableism once and for all. Today, we discuss disability and workplace inclusion. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. Before we go any further, I wanted to remind you that if you haven't already done so, please take a moment to like this video and subscribe to the channel. It's a great way to be notified about future videos and also I would really appreciate it if you like what you hear on this channel and you see on this channel that you were to reach out and notify your friends and family and perhaps your co-workers as well so they can also sign up. We post videos every week uh, on a Saturday, and that's how you can stay plugged in to the most recent uh, going goings-on right here on the program. My guest today is Max Bro, who is Vice President, People and Change Accessibility Consulting at BDO Canada. He's joining me to talk about a couple of new initiatives organized by BDO Canada, and I'm delighted to welcome Max to the program. Hello and welcome to The Pulse. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you very much, Joey. Before I continue my uh, speaking, I just want to give a quick description of what I look like for our speakers, if that's not a problem. So uh, I'm a, a middle-aged man with gray hair, gray beard. I'm wearing glasses that are blue and round. I'm wearing a, a nice little pink shirt with a multicolored uh, bow tie. What you don't see is I'm sitting in an electric wheelchair and I'm sitting at my home office. It's a pleasure to be on today. I'm so glad you joined us. Uh, you've really taken trouble. You're probably more dressed up than I am, to be honest with you. Uh, Max, tell us a little bit about BDO Canada and what is the mission and mandate of the organization? Well, you know, BDO's mandate is like everybody else that's in the consulting world right now, and it stems from an accounting firm. Uh, there's about five accounting firms. You probably know the big five. The other four I don't want to really talk about, but we're one of the big five. And we have a branch within BDO that deals with just management consulting, and that's where I fall into. And our mandate uh, with my team is to pretty much simply to help organizations, both governments, not NGOs, and corporations, and understanding what they need to do to become accessibility confident with all the acts that are starting to happen. So you got the provincial acts and the federal acts. And the other mandate I wanna be very clear about is that majority of the people who work in my unit are individuals with disabilities as well. So we have a really good understanding of what they term lived experience. And what is it that got you thinking more generally or broadly about workplace inclusion 
and addressing the unemployment un and underemployment faced by people with disabilities. Well, I've been working in this industry now for about 35 years as advocate for persons with disabilities. I had a stretch working for NGOs and then working for the federal government and now working in the consulting field. And one of the things that I've been noticing is that we've been doing the same thing over and over again in Canada. And to a certain degree, our unemployment rates are not been rising. And, and you know, there's a saying my grandmother used to say to me when I was growing up saying, when you do one thing and it doesn't work out, you learn from it. You do it a second time, who's the fool? You or do you need to go back and change what you're doing? And I think we've been doing this for 40 years in Canada. And it's about time we start really changing how we employ, how we look at people with disabilities in this country. One of the things I've noticed, and I've said this just to friends and family, is that for all the talk about needing to address the barriers to employment for people with disabilities, it seems to me, at least, that those employment numbers aren't getting any better. And we haven't really seen a big change in at least the last 10 to 15 years that I've been following it closely, assuming I'm not entirely wrong. Uh, why do you suppose that is? Well, I, I think... You know, it's straightforward to you. It, it is it is a conundrum. And, I, and, you know, we've been spending 40 years trying to educate corporations, governments about why they should be hiring people with disabilities. And one of the things I want to say to you is that, and to your listeners, is we did have a moment here with, over COVID that really had a profound impact for the community. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the COVID staying at home. But what it really did is for the first time ever, and we saw this worldwide, is people working from home. And as you know, we've been asking to work from home for a long time. So we've proven that we can work from home, but I don't think the numbers jumped up as high as we expected. So the answer I'm gonna say is what you hear from a lot of people, I think it's just fear. I think it's fear of, is it gonna to cost too much? And if I hire somebody with a disability, am I gonna be able to help them in being able to be successful? And what are the repercussions if this is not a successful employment? So it really comes down to fear. Fear on the part of the employer. That's correct. Or, or is there some amount of fear on the part of people with disabilities as well? Because, uh, and I don't blame them. I mean, every time you apply for a job, you don't know what you're actually getting. I mean, once you get in the door, if you're able to get in the door, it's anyone's guess how good your relationship with the employer will be, how willing they are to accommodate you. Is there a certain amount of fear that people with disabilities also have in, in terms of dealing with the employment process? Well, and I'm going to base myself on some old stats about five years ago, and these stats need to be updated. 35% of all HR hirings in Canada don't result very well for anybody. So that's just a general statistical number if you work in HR. When it comes to people from disabilities, it's actually less. It's 20%. So there's a disconnect there, right? Uh, 20% don't work out, which means the other 80% does work out. So let's talk about that 80% that is working out, and we don't. So we're hyperfixating on the 20% that doesn't, Right. And it seems to cause a lot of fear. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, going back to some of the uh, some of the engagement and some of the initiatives that BDO is is working on, you have uh, as part of your your mandate uh, chosen to collaborate with two nonprofit organizations to roll out some specific programs to deal with this oh so thorny issue of employment for people with disabilities. Can you tell us in a nutshell 
which nonprofit organizations you chose to work with and how you managed to whittle it down because there are so many amazing not-for-profits that work with people with disabilities. How did you make a determination about which two you were going to partner with? Well, I'm going to be straightforward with you here. My business on its own has been open now for about four business years. And from my standpoint, that's not a lot of time, right? It takes about a year for people to start knowing we exist. And then as the years progress, we start getting more more people knocking on our door. We didn't actually, you know, go around and have a short list of here we want to work with this organization and that organization. What we did is we let a lot of organizations know that we exist and we want to work in partnership with a lot of organizations to understand the disability equation. And and part of my philosophy here, Dorita, and I want to be very clear here is that we want to work with any organization that wants to look at how to increase the situation of employment for persons with disabilities or look at one element of it. And we're here to, to, to assist and also help to find funding as well. And the reason why I'm really interested in doing this is because we as a corporation need to understand the accessibility world, just as the accessibility world needs to understand the corporate world. And I think this is where we need to start really looking at both that kind of synergy with corporations and NGOs. One of the partnerships that you've uh, pursued and that we're talking about today is a partnership with the institution, uh, the Institute for Research and Development on Inclusion in Society, or IRIS for short, uh, where you're, you're collaborating to develop an accessibility engagement audit. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so what they want to design, and we're working with them, is they want to design an auditing tool for employment. So where organizations like a Rogers, a Telus, or any other corporation of a particular size can go through this auditing tool and really understand exactly some key questions. They fill out the key questions, and then they get kind of a, an overall stat, status of where they are. And where this is unique is that in BDO, we have a really big reputation within the auditing community. And we really wanted to work with IRIS because as you know, IRIS is a combination of various disabilities as well. It doesn't represent one particular group, it represents a handful of various disabilities. And we wanted to work with them because, and here's the reality of the situation, just because we're really good at auditing, we want to understand what we need to change in the auditing perspective to be reflective of that for people with disabilities. So I'll give an example here. Uh, about 10 years ago, our, the other minority community, the indigenous population, you know, pushed back and said to a lot of people saying, we, you need to have a different strategy on how to engage us. And then there was a lot of people who stood up and started producing some very strict engagement rules on how to engage the indigenous community. And so what we're thinking at a BDO and IRIS is this is one of the first examples of a very highly technical group understanding the particulars of the disability community. And at the same time, we're designing a tool for this community to utilize to go back to corporations. So it's a really interesting conversation that we're having. In one degree, we're explaining to them how the auditing works, world works. And then they're explaining to my team, how does the disability community interpret these auditing rules and these questions? And we're, so we're hoping, and I love this word, homage, 
we will come up with an auditing tool that's reflective of the concerns of people with disabilities, but at the same time, stays true to the values of auditing. Mm, that's going to be tricky to balance. I mean, look, I don't have a background in auditing, so you'll have to excuse me, but what exactly would this this auditing engagement tool look like? So you said it's going to be asking a series of questions. Uh, I know it's early days, but what sort of questions do you think you'll ask as part of this auditing process? Well, again, it, it, it's going to be a two-folded process. The first process is we always ask for statistical information. You know, how many people work in the organization? What's the percentage of people who are self-identified with disabilities? What is your self-identification process to identify people with disabilities? And then at the same time, an auditing tool only works when you start actually talking to the community itself. Remember, one of the fundamentals of all the acts that are starting to come out, provincial and federal, state one very key point, that you cannot and you should not write anything without engaging the community. So we're trying to figure out how to put that into this tool to say, okay, now you need to go and actually talk to your workforce with disabilities and ask them some key questions. And that's where we're having you know, some really interesting debates about how to word that, how to ensure that the community feels safe about answering these audit tools. So I'm going to be honest with you, we're, 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 we're very much at the halfway point right now. We haven't tested this yet, but I'll definitely keep you abreast about what this looks like because we're hoping to have some, some eureka moments and then sometime going, okay, this works, let's move on, right? But again, I mean, what aspects of an employer's processes or practices or structures are you going to be looking at uh, as a part of this auditing tool? So we're, we're going to be looking at, does the individual, when, you know, was there an onboarding process that was reflective, you know, of people with disabilities? Uh, were you accommodated through the whole process uh, to being interviewed and engaged to be recruited? Uh, once you Once you got the job, you know, did you come in and were you set up with a buddy with a disability? Did you, or not a disability, could be somebody with a disability, could be somebody that understands how to navigate the system internally, being mindful of their disability. Did you, as a person with a disability, get accommodated, and how long did that take? Um, and to a degree, did that, did that accommodation take? And then asking some cultural questions, you know, uh, to a degree, did you feel comfortable about being a person with a disability? Do you feel comfortable about you know, continuing your work with a disability. Are you having a voice in the work you're doing? You know, there's a lot of different kind of questions and different stages, right? So it's mostly asking questions about the proceeds, but you're not actually going in there and looking at different organizations and saying, you know, this is how you're, this is the process by which you're hiring, or this is what your 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 website looks like, or this is, you know, how you're processing payroll, and this may or may not be the way that you're excluding people with disabilities or really trying to develop a, a, a question uh, or, or a set of questions to establish um, whether employees with disabilities are being included and accommodated adequately in the workplace? Yeah. So here, here's something I need to explain about auditing so people really understand. Yes, there is an auditing component where you go, does this number match this number? That's, that's the fundamentals of, of auditing. But there's another op fundamentals about auditing that it, the best way it was explained to me was 
Auditing is about giving a sense of comfortability to the organization that's being audited. And what I mean by that is we go in and we audit them. And then we come back and we go, here's the answers in which we got from the engagement of both your staff and senior staff. And here's the direction you're moving into. And here are some things you need to consider. So it's about giving a level of comfort to organizations about is the direction they're taking the right direction or do they need to stop and take a different direction because they're missing the boat? So it's about giving a sense of comfortability about what they're doing. This audit engagement tool, I would hazard a guess can be applied to a diversity of organizations. As you know, there are some that are very big national organizations that employ thousands of people. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, you could have very small not-for-profit organizations where you maybe have four or five people working together in a small office. So uh, do you feel that it's it's versatile enough? Uh, and uh, you say it's you know halfway developed. Do you feel it's versatile enough to apply to all kinds of workplaces? I think we're going to have to come up with two elements to this auditing tool, to be honest with you. One's going to be for employers for 100 and plus uh, employees and one for employers that are below 100. Um, but right now we're just trying to figure out what, what are the key questions and what are the results going to be of those key questions? Because again, it's it's like everything else, right? We don't want to be asking a handful of questions and then the results, well, they're stagnant. So we got to test these questions and we're hoping that they work. But again, we're going to be going back to the community, engaging the community and seeing to what, again, what the results look like. How are you planning to engage the community? I know we've talked about it. Uh, we sort of skirted around the issue a little bit, but uh, what's your plan for actually developing this uh, audit engagement tool? Well, one of the really interesting things about this is that once we get it to a certain level where we think, okay, let's go test it, we plan on calling a handful of organizations that we work with through my organization and say, would you like to test this out for us? Here is a few particular questions, and if we could just do some test rounds. So we're gonna be talking to some of my clients and going back to them and say, you know, can you test this out for us? And then the results will come back and we'll get an idea. And when do you think it'll be ready by? Well, we're hoping uh, to have this ready in about a year's time. So that's pretty ambitious, eh? To get it seems like a lot to get done in a in a year's time, but I'm sure I'm sure you have a handle on it, right? So Well, thank you. Uh, the other project that you're working on is a research project that I'm really intrigued by in collaboration with the CNIB or the Canadian National Institute for the Blind which looks at the federal government's procurement process. Why is it so important to look at the procurement process? Well, here's something your viewers don't know. I would say about a year and a half ago, one of the unique things that a large corporation that BDO has, and, and I'm gonna make assumptions that most of the large corporations have this, is, is we have our internal research team. So let's say pick company ABC. Uh, we wanna go and approach company ABC and we wanna do work for ABC. I go to a branch internally and say, can you give me all the statistics about this company? And then I get a profile on this company. I can also go to this group and say, here's a bunch of key variants I wanna understand about what's going on in the world. And I use some of the pillars from the act, you know, employment, uh, client services, built environment and procurement. I asked, I think about eight questions to this group. And they spend about two months gathering all the statistics, looking at everything that's going on in this country, around the world. They pulled me out of profile, each one of my questions. When it came to procurement, I got zero. And that's the story. And 
I don't know why. And when I look around and I talk to TD Bank, which TD Bank's been doing a phenomenal job on procurement, and I go and talk to uh, Canada Post, they're doing a phenomenal job on, on procurement. That's it. Like trying to find organizations out there that are doing work on KPIs for procurement is really difficult to find. And so there's not a particular standard that we could look at one and go, okay, that they got that nailed. And look at another one and go, that they got that nailed. We don't have enough variants to be able to really understand how to design a procurement policies or directives that really infuses accessibility. So where does the CNIB come into this process and the, into this research? So they approached us because they were getting funding to do this research. And we recently did a lot of work with PSPC on understanding two very important things. Uh, the first thing is understanding what kind of procurement um, people with disabilities usually provide services to. So like in, like when you look at the government, the government sells everything from military arms, like military-grade stuff, to buying pencils and everything in between, and even services. And so they, they we went through an exercise with them about where where does the bulk of uh, businesses run by people with disabilities or people with disabilities offering services, where do they kind of, where is that bollywood group, right? And then we did a, a, an exercise with them on finding out what, what are the percentages of organizations owned or run by people with disabilities? What does that look like in Canada? So they approached us saying, okay, with those two, with those two research you've done, we would like to get on board about procurement. One last thing I want to say is on top of BDO being really well known for our auditing team, we're also really well known for our procurement team. We have a team of people who specialize in procurement that help governments and corporations and NGOs about how to design and build their procurement styles. So I thought it was really vital, again, for this team to understand the language of accessibility, to understand the impacts of accessibility in the procurement system. So as they are understanding the situation and, and, and getting a, a better sense of how to do this, they're able to provide it back to their clients and say, keep in mind, you need to make this accessible. And this is what we just recently learned. So remember, I'm always talking about how we both help each other. Community helps me in understanding and my staff understanding the accessibility side. And we hope to teach the accessibility community a little bit about corporate Canada as well. And so I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. When we look at the federal procurement process, what are some of the considerations from an accessibility point of view that need to be taken in, taken into account when you're designing a procurement process for some for an entity as large as the federal government? Well, the, the reality is, is that 90% of the work that's done or the 90% of the procurement that happens, it goes through something called buy and sell for the federal government. If we're just gonna use them as an example. So you have to make sure right from the get-go that buy and sell is fully accessible for somebody who's blind, somebody who's neurodiverse, and a whole other multitude of disabilities. And then you gotta make sure what, what they call an RFP and, and or an RFI, which I'm trying to remember now is, is, is basically accessible, which is basically- uh, Like an RFP is a request for thank proposal? Thank you, it's so, a request for a proposal. Yeah. And you gotta make sure the request for a proposal 
can be read from somebody who's blind. And prior to this, I hate to tell you, it wasn't. Now they're meeting, they're starting to make it happen. But the other part of the process as well, Joey, that I've got to make sure is that people who are trying to make it a better world need to also be supplying their proposals in an accessible format back to the government as well. The multi-phase approach. And so what, you know, you, you, you mentioned the CNIB approach to you. What precisely will the research look at then? What is it being conducted in phases? Who are they talking to? Uh, I know they're not, they're, they're not going to know what their conclusions are, but what is it that they're hoping to find? What is the hypothesis that they want to try and prove or disprove? Well, they want to find two things. The first thing we want to find is, are people looking at the procurement system in a really cool way? And here's something, I, I don't know if your community knows this, if the community fully understands this, but as of December of last year, on December the 30th, all federal jurisdiction organizations, particularly governments, needed to make their plans public. So you had all the federal government agencies making their plans public. On June the 1st of this year, all organizations with 100 more employers had to make their plans accessible. So what we're doing is we're data mining. We're going into those plans and seeing what they're doing from procurement. Are they doing it? Are they addressing it? Do they have ideas? That's the first thing we're doing. The second thing we're doing is we're talking to the Post Canada's, we're talking to the TD banks, we're talking to our friends in the UK and Australia and United States, and we're trying to really understand what kind of KPIs and what kind of indicators we could put into this. What is a KPI? Uh, basically, a KPI is, is basically key, key principles of indication. So it's basically things that um, when you're looking at a, um, a proposal, for example, you're, you're, you're going, do they address this, this, and this? Uh, are they explaining this, this, and this? That's what KPIs are. Well, and this research, will it be ready also around 2024, or do you have a different timeline for that? Sadly, it, it's actually probably going to be in about nine months' time. We're finalizing the report now as we speak. We're hoping to have something uh, that we could start debating in November and December with uh, the team and then hopefully produce something decent quality by early, uh, sometime in the next year. Yeah, probably next spring or summer. I mean, nine months would probably put you next summer. So that sounds really promising as well. Uh, what do you hope uh, the key takeaway or, 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 you know, what do you think the, the most immediate impact of the research on procurement is likely to be well what, what i'm hoping is is we give some indications to corporations and to the federal government on what they need to be doing to start addressing the the accessibility issues that we all know exist in procurement um and and really understanding the the fundamentals of rate from the start uh, again if, if if you can't access the website like you were saying for employment but it's the same thing with procurement if you can't access the uh, the the website and you can't access the rps how yeah. can you get involved? That's a really right? good point. Well, Max Bro, we have to leave it there. Uh, it's been a really interesting conversation. Uh, it's the first time that I've actually gotten into the nitty gritties of a conversation about uh, workplace inclusion and accessibility and really tried to understand how the principles of auditing can help to make sense of that. So thank you very much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Max Bro is Vice President, People and Culture, Accessibility Consulting at BDO Canada. Well, that was an interesting take on employment and workplace inclusion. Definitely off the beaten path. I enjoyed it. I'm not sure how much of it. I, 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 you know, it's one of those interviews where I'll probably have to go back and 
uh, re-listened to it myself, to be perfectly honest with you, because uh, auditing is not my strong suit. But uh, with that said, it was a really fun conversation, and I like to push the push the boundaries of what I understand as well. So I hope you found that interesting. Leave your comments down below, of course, if you're listening on YouTube, or drop a comment in the you know in the way you know if you're listening to the podcast. But if you would prefer not to do that, you are always welcome to write us an email, write to feedback at ami.ca. You can give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. Don't forget to leave permission to play the audio on the program. If you are still on X, formerly Twitter, you can find us at AMI Audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. A lot of people work really hard to bring you this program. Our videographer today has been Ted Cooper. Jordan Steves is our video editor. Marka Flalo is our technical producer. Ryan Delahanty is the coordinator for podcasts at AMI-audio. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And I've been your host, Joyita Gupta. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.